turn with me to Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. I think it's very appropriate during Advent to land in the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. This is sort of the last word we have before 400 years of anticipation will set in. Actually, a little over 400 years from when Malachi prophesies to when John the Baptist steps on the scene and prepares the way for the Lord. That's that's a little bit of waiting, isn't it? 400 and some odd years. And we are in this season of Advent, and of course, Advent means coming, particularly dealing with Christ coming and People waited for years and years. And then Jesus came as a baby in Bethlehem, in a manger. And then he was crucified, dead and buried, and then rose again. And then he went to the Father and said, I will come back again. And now we are in a season of waiting. Waiting for his second advent. And so I want to I just revisit uh, what we proclaimed a moment ago upon lighting the two Advent candles. Notice these words again from Malachi. Holy Spirit, help us to hear. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to Yahweh then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to Yahweh as in the days of old and as in former years The Lord bless the reading of His Word, for it is a word for us. Thanks be to God. Today's word is refining. And we need refining. Look around the room. Right? (laughs) Refining? No? It's not just about fashion. It's not the kind of refining, of course, that Malachi is speaking of. We would do well to see that refining only happens, as he indicates, through washing, through fire. Come, Lord Jesus. This either strikes fear in us or delight. Maybe we could add one more. 
maybe it also could cause confusion. Maybe some would say, well, why do we have to wait at all? Why doesn't He come now? (laughs) In which case, I think the Christian church has proclaimed for years, the reason is grace. Grace. God's grace. For you. For me. For His world. And yet we proclaim, come, Lord Jesus. I long for His coming. And then it strikes me, do I? Do you? Do people around? We sing it. We sing that we want Him to come. We, we read the last words in Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus. But do we long for His coming? Do we feel the real weight of God Himself breaking in to our world? I get this picture maybe of sort of uh, that, uh, what was that? Independence Day. Yes, that movie, Independence Day, you know, where all of a sudden the ship breaks through the, the, the atmosphere and is covering the whole. This is not just a ship. This is God Himself who is pressing down, breaking into our reality. Fire from heaven falling to us. His judgment coming quickly. Even the text says, suddenly, like a thief in the night. And I wonder if we've felt the weight of that in such a way as maybe an evaluation at work from a supervisor or from a boss or from a teacher. In my own adjunct teaching that I do, I get evaluated from time to time. And you want to bring your A game when you get evaluated. You know what I mean? Anybody with me? It's like if you know your supervisor's going to be there, I mean, you throw in a couple extra goodies. You know what I mean? You do. You, you, try to, you want to bring your A game, right? And our text says, and even last week, stand up, right? Lift your heads. Be alert. Let's bring our A game every day because guess what? It truly is the matter of the fact that in that eastern sky, He will come in a cloud of glory. He will come as He said He would. He's already done it once and He proved Himself that He is a keeper of promises. That He never, ever fails and he won't fail on this promise. And he is coming again. We will see him. And the scripture says that if we are found in him, we will be like him. <laughs> be alert. Bring your A game every day. And the Lord will suddenly come to his temple. But then the text says, but, but who can endure this day? Who? You know, Last week, stand, but now, who can stand? Who can stand? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of all. King of kings and Lord of lords. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was imprisoned by the Germans, Christian theologian of Germany who moved to America to escape the Nazism there 
and could have had a wonderful career in theology. And people still look to his books. Um, but he chose to go back because he said, how can I be somewhere else and not be with my people? And was then subsequently arrested and then hung in 1945 as the Allied forces were actually audibly approaching the base or the camp. And it's a sad story, but he wrote many letters from prison. And those letters, just like we see from Martin Luther King Jr., or just like we see from Paul, they're weighty when one has a death sentence upon them in prison. The words become baptized in blood. It's one thing for me to speak to you today in the comfort of my sweater (laughs) with a beautiful cat's all over it. It's another thing from prison, awaiting my death. And here's what he says. He wrote this during Advent. It is very remarkable that we face the thought that God is coming so calmly. Whereas previously, peoples trembled at the day of God. We have become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and of God's coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We are indifferent to the message. Taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it, And forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and lays claim to us. The coming of God is truly not only glad tidings, but first of all, frightening news for everyone who has a conscience. I can insert my amen there. Only when we have felt the terror of the matter can we recognize the incomparable kindness. God comes into the very midst of evil and of death and judges the evil in us and in the world. And by judging us, God cleanses and sanctifies us. He comes to us with grace and love. What a God. What a God. What a Savior. But what a coming judge He is. You know, there's this classic question that I always get, it seems, and it's found elsewhere in Christianity, and that is just simply, why doesn't God, once we're saved, just take us? I mean, what are we doing fiddling around here? Going to work and having to eat and doing the family thing and all of that. Why does he just take us if we're saved? Just take us for crying out loud. Anybody ever ask you that question? Or maybe you've asked this question. Well, maybe it's part of our terminology is wrong. Saved, the scripture speaks of being saved and will be saved at the same time in holding contention that we are saved. Isn't that interesting? This past present and future reality. We live within the tension of that between His first coming and His second coming. Timothy Dolan, who I didn't get to meet, but I saw where he lived and where he ministers. He's, a, he's actually a cardinal within the Catholic Church. 
That's not a bird, by the way. Um, I guess everybody's clear on that, right? Okay, good. Um, and when we went to New York, uh, we were staying right across the street from St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's beautiful. I mean, just every morning, I'm like, just, I just stare at it. Every night, I stare at it. Every day I walked past it, I was just staring. I mean, I could literally just probably live there and stare at the thing and be fine and content because there's a lot of the stuff there I didn't want to stare at. And he ministers there, and I, just because I was there that night before I was going to bed, you know, I could still see these spires and all from the, from the cathedral. And I ordered three of his books, you know, and one of them was about Advent. I read it, and his, one of his basic points is this. There's actually three Advents, he says. <laughs> I love this. He says the first Advent, of course, is Bethlehem. That leads to Golgotha. That leads to, of course... The resurrection and his ascension. He says, and then what we typically refer to as the second advent is really the final advent, as he called it. Not the second, but the final advent. And he says, in this advent, of course, Jesus is coming not as a helpless baby. And trust me, we've got a lot of babies that we've had over the past year in this church. Uh, what was it, six? There's, yeah, there's five that have been born, one that we're still expecting to be born. One very recently, and I, and I went to see this baby, even this week, to pray over this small child, Alexandra. And God became a baby the first time, helpless, needing his mother for life, but not the second time, not the final time. No, this final time, He comes as king of all. Not as the lamb slain, but rather as the lamb slain and the lion of Judah. He comes in power. Dolan says he comes in majesty. The first time in history. The second time history's done. Majesty only. He says the third one really is the middle one where Christ comes to us day by day. What I'm calling, in the sequence here, His first advent, now his, our first-hand experience of advent, and then the final advent. For you see, it's not enough as Christians, brothers and sisters. Let me transition the gears to something serious. It's not enough to believe in the historical advent of Jesus. You can believe it in your head all you want. People can apologetically prove it to you polemically. That's not enough. The scripture never allows us to stop with believing in a historical Jesus. That's great that you do. There's cookies waiting at the back that you do. I mean, it is a step in our world to to believe this, but... It is only the beginning. One must meet the risen Lord. One must know of the advent of God in us. Suddenly coming to His temple by the power of the Holy Spirit. For our Lord's last words were wait for the promise of the Father. That was the Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Spirit came to all people. Praise be to God. Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, smart and not so smart. He came to all. High position in life to the lowly. He came to all. Thanks be to God. <laughs> no one, however, can stand before the presence of God. So we've got a problem. And this is why our text points us to the proper terminology that we need to pray for. And that is refinement. Have you ever been, I've had a few occasions where I've, been at a dinner that was sort of beyond my pay grade. You know what I mean? Anybody ever been at one of those, one of these fancy dinners? And I mean, you know, if you just see me eating, just doing my thing at home, I've got both hands up on the table, you know, I'm propped up, I'm scooping, I'm doing my thing, you know? Well, I doesn't always fly at a proper dinner, you know what I mean? And I learned that pretty quickly, you know, I'm like done with my food and everybody's just kind of sitting there like, oh, crap, man, I wish... There's, I guess there's no seconds at this, um, you know, at this dinner here, you know, and it's like, ah, I'm not used to that. I'll typically always scarf down the first one and then uh, head back for the second one, right? And there's a bit of refinement. And so now I kind of wait to see what everybody else does, right? You want to place that napkin? I thought it was a decorative piece, actually, the other week. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, that looks really nice. I could, you know, and then I realized that people were putting that in their lap, you know, oh, okay. Around my house, that would be decoration, you know what I mean? <laughs> we don't have that kind of fancy stuff. And I watch others, and you know what? The church operates like this. It's, you know what, we, we are being refined. You say, man, I, I, didn't, I didn't know to bring a smitter. I didn't know the Apostles' Creed. I don't know this. You know what? Get in the family and you'll learn. That's the way this works. It's okay. It's okay to come as you are. What becomes sin is demanding that you stay the way you were. We need to cry out to God and say, Refine me, Lord. I want to sit at your table. I want to enjoy that marriage supper of the Lamb one day. You remember the guy that Jesus told about in the parable where he goes and he calls out, Come to my feast. Come to my Nobody comes. The rich people, the high up people, positionally, they don't come. So he says, go get everybody. Well, then there's this, so that's not the point I'm trying to make with that one, but that's setting up the story. Then all of a sudden, the, the master, he's like, hey, why are you not dressed for the right thing? You remember this? He invited the poor. Wouldn't you expect? No, no, no. Even the poor or the rich, there's one way to come to God. It's his way. And this fellow was found without the proper garment, which would have meant in Judaism he didn't go through the proper washing to get the proper garment. He had snuck in to the mill. Notice, it's okay for anyone to come, but you must be washed. You must get a new garment. This is what the scripture calls us to, isn't it? Everybody is invited, but we don't come our way. We come his way, Yahweh. I've often told myself, 
not your way, but Yahweh. And his way is one of washing. Did you catch it? Almost laundering, right? Which I don't do a lot of. Uh, Jessica doesn't let me near that fancy machine that we finally were able to get because we have so many people to wash through. Not that we wash them in that, but certainly wash their clothes. And you know, in looking at various washing machines, I remember part of my research found that the better ones have an agitator. Isn't that an interesting word for a wash? I mean, you can learn a lot from washing machine research, you know? And um, has these agit. It doesn't matter if it's a spinning one or not. It has these agitators. It's not good enough, in other words, just to get wet. You need to be thrown around a little bit. Right. <laughs> you need to scrub a little bit. And you know what? You say, why are we still here? I don't know about you, but I still need to be agitated. Because there's some stuff, there's some deep stains in my life. I'm, this is not just rhetorical. I'm being dead honest with you. There are some deep stains in my life that will only come out by agitating them. Bringing that stain to the surface and scrubbing it with his soap. With his holiness. But you know what? He can do it. That's why he came, was to wash us clean, to, as the text says, purify us. Now, it's not just washing. There's another image here, which is fire. And I love that John the Baptist, who Jesus says is the greatest prophet born of woman, the greatest preacher. And we could talk for days about John the the Baptist, because Jesus would have if he was here today in person and you said, who's the best preacher? I kind of like X or Y or Z that's on TV or on my podcast. Jesus would say, oh, John the Baptist, hands down. Jesus even preached John's message, exact same message. Look it up. It's in the Gospels. It's very simple. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the first thing Jesus preached. His very first message, that's what he said. He learned from his cousin. Isn't that interesting? He's the last Old Testament prophet too, before you get Jesus. And here he is, dressed in a silly outfit. Right? He's got camel's hair on, which wasn't in style then. He's got a leather belt Wrapped around it. That's all he's got. And then on top of that, he eats locusts. And he lives in the wilderness. And he had taken a Nazarite vow, which means he never cut his hair or shaved or even trimmed any of it. Because some of you have a nice beard, I think. Yeah, there's some people out here with a nice beard. I tried to do that thing. It doesn't work for me. But some of you, I guarantee most of you, form it up. A Nazarite vow, you leave it disheveled. You saw this guy? He wasn't TV ready. You follow me? And yet he had a coarse message that Jesus said, what he's saying prepares the way for me. We need to listen to John preach. We need to go read it this week and say, Jesus, I want you to come into me and the only way 
is through the way that John preached because he prepared the way for Jesus. He is this messenger that Malachi sees in his prophecy. Many mistake this, that this is Jesus. And many mistake even in the Gospel of John. That John even has to stop. You remember in his beautiful poetry, say, hang on now, listen. The guy I'm talking about was not the light. Why? Because John was such a bright light for God that he actually had to tell his people, now listen, John was not the light. By his own admission, I must, what? Decrease. So that Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus our Lord, can increase. John sets a pattern for us on how to prepare the way for God's holy refining work in our life. His sanctifying, cleansing, purifying work for us. Washing, yes, but also fire. This is why John says, when he sees Jesus, he says, I baptize you with water. But he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He says, oh, I can only do a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, but this man, he brings the Holy Spirit. And the holy fying spirit to make us holy. <laughs> and, and here's the deal. It's going to take fire. And without going into an explanation of how purging works with silver and gold and all this, Refining has to do with removing negatively the impurities so that you can have a positive result, which is purity. You see how this works is when the scripture calls us to be pure. We sometimes just think of clean, but that's not what pure is. When you go to the grocery store and you get a bag of sugar that says pure sugar, that means they didn't fudge it to put a little bit of flour in there to save on sugar. No, it's 100% one thing. Purity. When the Lord cleanses us, it's to one thing, Jesus. To one thing, being filled with his love. To one single purpose, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. That's what the cleansing is for. Not to be discombobulated all over the place, partially doing this and three parts doing that. No, no. Not to be compartmentalized in this world from this to that. Half in, half. One single focus. Like a horse with blinders on. Only seeing Christ We are to live pure, as the scripture calls, with a single eye. That's the good news, is that he is coming and we can be made pure for his coming. I mean the present coming. I mean today, not just the future one. Because the way we prepare for the future advent is for him to advent in us today. For him to to reside in this temple, in your temple. 
And speaking of temples, a few years back I was in India outside of Bangalore and we passed through a slum that, you know, the term slum kind of says it all. I don't think you need a definition. It sounds like what it is. And then we go to this beautiful temple. You have to kick off your shoes, of course. And there's all these sights and smells and colors, very colorful, very unlike the slum that's right beside it. Beautiful, really. We walk past the sacred cows, and then I go up to the second floor. And I'd been a skeptic about this because I had read about it and, you know, taught about it, which is deep meditative entrancements, if you think of it in terms like that, where they're just able to concentrate meditatively on one thing for many hours to overcome self, to receive moksha. And I go up there and I see this guy in a lotus position meditating, right? And he's, I mean, he's just dead still. And I'm thinking, wow, that's crazy. So, you know, I don't, he's like looking straight ahead, you know what I mean? I don't want to I just stare at him like, wow, that's cool, man. You know, you can't take pictures, of course. And so I kind of do this thing where I'm like this, you know, kind of glance up and back down, you know, and I'm kind of like scared to look directly at him. I'm kind of like, is he, man, is, how is he doing that? Kind of making my way around as I'm kind of looking at And he's just dead still. People are coming up. They're offering things into his lap, and he's just in immense concentration, eyes open. And I'm like, this is crazy. Then I get close and realize he's a wax figure. I was scared to look at a scarecrow of a man. And what I found out later was that he actually was the priest there and now they worship him because they realized he was God. I thought to myself, they're worshiping wax. When God comes to purify us, we're not called to be wax figures or scarecrows that have no activity and life within them. No, on the last day, all that will melt away. But when we have substance in our life, and I mean for substance, the Holy Spirit, who is the substance of God, When we have the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter the container. It could be a burning bush. It could be a clay jar. And we will be able to be purified rather than melt away. That's the vision for purification. For us to be refined people. It doesn't just mean eating properly and knowing how to work your way through the utensils. It means a pure heart that is consumed with the fire or the flame of love who is the Holy Spirit. Allowing Him to bring to the surface these deep stains, these marks in our life. Maybe we could think about it as we read a moment ago as these valleys that go deep, as these mountains that seem insurmountable, these curvy roads that we're on, because don't you remember what John the Baptist cried out, quoting Isaiah? The paths will be made straight. 
the valleys filled, the mountains lowered, (laughs) the curves and the crooked places made straight, the rough places made level. All flesh will see the salvation of God. I wonder this morning if you would be willing to admit that you've heard, like me, John's preaching. His call to repent. His call to allow God to do His refining work in me. I must admit to you that last night I heard that call. And it had to do with me being a parent. I'm just being, I'm confessing, just as John said to do, in order to prepare the way for the Lord. And I confessed, Lord, my oldest son, I'm missing some things that are critical right here. I immediately, this was, John, you'd already gone to bed. This was like one o'clock. John stayed the night with us last night. It's like one o'clock, and I went up to his bed and the foot of his bed and just knelt down and in my heart cried out to God and said, Lord, I need your help. This precious soul that breathing heavily before me, sleeping in his bed, needs his father to be his primary discipler. And I got to confess that I haven't been. Forgive me, Lord. Purify me. I don't want to live another day without that single focus of what you've called me to do today. Day by day, moment by moment, His coming into our lives. He forgives me so that He can empower me with His Holy Spirit. He doesn't forgive me so I can continue living in the mud but rather raises us to new life. (laughs) What a God. He's calling you to that. Can you hear it? Can you hear John's preaching? It's for us. That's how we prepare the way of the Lord. I'm willing to say today, I need a Savior. This is not, I'm not, I'm telling you, I'm not using this as a rhetorical device. I'm confessing sin in my own life so that I can be refined as a parent. I need a Savior. I can't do it on my own, friends. Being the pastor of this church, I can't do it on my own. I'll tell you, flat-footed, I can't. Husband, I can't do it on my own. A good friend, I can't do it on my own. I need help. I need a Savior, and that's why today it's good news to hear John preach, because guess what? I can have that Savior. He can come to my life today. This is not some pipe dream or something we're making up. God came to me last night. He comes to me today, and He can come to you today. We don't have to wait, but He only comes to those who repent of their sin. He only comes to those who need a Savior. My friend, brother and sister, 
as serious as I know how, I pray that you've been awakened to that need. We need a Savior. We need those valleys raised. We need those mountains thumped down. We need those crooked ways made straight. He can do it. He can do it in your life. He's doing it in our church. He's doing it, he's doing it for people in our church. Why not you? Why not today? Why not now? Come, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.